some incense going here real quick. If you're familiar with incense, there's quite a few different varieties out there. And I actually picked up this incense, which is called peyote, from um, a Native American uh, gathering, tribal gathering. Uh, there was vendors there, and uh, they had some really, really good incenses, um, shamanic incense. And uh, I actually got one called shamanism. Peyote is another these are uh, these are great tools for calming, relaxing the mind, the body, and I like to burn incense and meditate. So I feel like this podcast, this being the first podcast, it's a good ritual to start the podcast off by burning some incense, and that will calm me to not caring about the fact that I'm communicating with you out there, many people, uh, the world even, if it were to become a huge podcast, I don't know. Um, right now, my main objective is to just uh, be able to communicate with people. Um, whether many or few, I would like to be able to get some information out there and uh, perhaps help people um, my name is DC Allen and I've written a book which kind of sparked me to start this podcast but the more that I think about doing this podcast the more I feel like it's this is not just some marketing tool for me to sell copies of my book although of course as an author what author would not hope that they would sell copies of their book so you know I'm pretty upfront about that yes I have a book for sale I'm going to say that right off the bat there's no subtlety there. Um, I think that the information in that book can be very beneficial for people. I don't plan on charging a great deal of money for the book, but obviously as a, um, as a person living in a country where money is the means of uh, getting by, then of course I want to be able to learn, earn a living off of what I'm doing. So therefore, yes, I do have a book for sale. It's called From Smoker to Marathon Runner. Um, and is basically a guide, to, uh, a personal guide of how I was able to conquer addiction of cigarette addiction through uh, the use of psychedelic psilocybin mushrooms. And I won't talk about that too much during this podcast. Um, I'm just putting out there that I do have the novel available. Um, this, this book is a life changer for me because I was able to use a substance um, considered to be illegal to uh, quit smoking and I went through a process that was very specific so I, I wanted to document that and get it you know written down for others so that uh, you know the experiences out there I cannot technically recommend anybody do what I did um, but what I would really like to see is more clinical trials um, my book is actually what helped me get to a point where I could do this was influences um, you know listening to uh, uh, an amazing mycologist uh, Paul Stamets 
and then also uh, reading articles on smoking cessation trials with psilocybin mushrooms done at John Hopkins. And while that, that study specifically, they never recommended anybody to do this outside of their study, it showed that there was an 80% 80, 80 success rate in uh, clinical trials where they had 15 people come in and try the smoking cessation program. And I believe it was 12 of them um, six months later still were not smoking cigarettes. So this was a profound, profound experience. Um, and to, you know, to change someone's life to a point where they can alter the, their, the entire pathway of the rest of their lives, this is something very powerful. And this is something that I think people should not take lightly or pass off as some sort of a drug. Um, we need more clinical trials. We need more testing. Um, I know Michael Pollan's recently written a book about this. We need more testing on psychedelics to be used at a doctor level. Um, you know, there's a lot of vigilante types out there who just go out, psychonauticals, psychonauts. Um, I like to say psychonautical just because I like the word nautilus a lot. Let's get started on today's podcast. If you don't mind, I've got some yerba mate tea with me. I like to drink coffee as well, but I generally try to drink and limit my coffee intake to about a cup a day, and then I like to drink yerba mate after that. Yerba mate has such a smooth, clean energy in comparison. So, we'll get started here with our discussion for the day, I just wanted to give you guys uh, an introduction to me, D.C. Allen. You know, who is D.C. Allen? What does that even mean? Never heard of a person named Allen before. So I'm going to kind of give a backstory to that because, uh, you know, if some of you haven't already guessed, D.C. Allen is a fabricated name. It's not my true name. And while I have many reasons for not giving out my actual identity, one of which including, um, I really feel like there needs to be some mystery to the DC Allen character. Um, not being as that this is some sort of acting or anything like that, it's just my character as an individual, um, who who I am, my my mindset, my consciousness. I like to have a part of me that can be able to freely express myself however I need to. And tying that to any particular ego really just doesn't satisfy me. Um, you know, I like I like for DC Allen to not have a face and a Facebook persona per se other than a page with a picture of an owl. And that being said, let's talk about DC Allen. So, where does the name Allen come from? It's a very good question. So a few years ago, um, about let's go back about 10 years ago, I was a heavy smoker, and I had made some life choices, um, and I can't, you know, blame anybody else 
uh, later on down in life you realize you really can't blame other people for your uh, situation whatever it is you're in um, if you can take charge of your life and make certain good decisions then you can conquer a lot of your own personal inner demons and um, you realize that your real enemy is within yourself so I had a lot of anger uh, about 10 years ago and I was looking for I was looking outside of myself at the problems and the issues of the world the problems and the issues in my life were all attributed to these things whether it be other people personal relationships um, you know things going on in politics things going on with the economy like I, I was just basically blaming everything but me for my shortcomings for my ability to do things and there was a point when I realized that that needed to be no more that I needed to start taking accountability and I needed to start framing and changing my life so that actually all happened through the use of psychedelics and um, I met someone uh, a good friend of mine who is not a shaman but I still to this day consider him to be my personal shaman um, and a shaman considered you know a medicine man or a guide as as such um, really I think we can all have a personal shaman not necessarily that we have to travel to a jungle somewhere to find one um, or or anything like that it, you can tell when you take psychedelics that the true teacher is the plant and the shaman knows this the shaman knows that the plant is the teacher so um, it's just someone who you feel safe with who can help you get through a very difficult experience and my first few psychedelic experiences um, I had some very 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 difficult experiences um, so and breakthrough experiences as well and I'll get through I'll uh, in this podcast I will talk about a lot of these experiences but for the sake of just talking about my name and why I chose my name let's get into the story of the three owls so basically I had a series of uh, psychedelic experiences that changed my life and mainly to eradicate my depression problems my self-loathing problems and sort of turn that around into a place where I could grow and become constructive and actually build the life that I wanted to have instead of this sort of implosive um, taking all of my anger towards the outside world and bringing it in to me and then imploding into myself um, and wreaking havoc on my body on my immune system uh, I was sick a lot I felt bad a lot I had no energy um, so with one of my first main breakthrough experiences was using um, mescaline or uh, San Pedro cactus to be specific and 
Within a week of this breakthrough experience, there was an owl that showed up in my life. Unfortunately, it was dead. Um, but I remember that I went to work that day, and there was uh, a lady at work that pointed out that she saw some sort of a, a f animal sticking out of the grill of my car. So I went outside, and I looked, and I saw this large feather sticking out of the grill. And I reached underneath, and I pulled it out, and it was a, a pretty good-sized owl. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what, what kind of an owl that one was, um, but it was, it was a pretty good-sized one. And I remember looking at it and thinking, this is, this is somehow very significant. Um, this happened within a few days of my first mescaline experience. The mescaline experience happening um, before. So a few days after I'd had this amazing breakthrough experience, here this owl is. And I remember thinking, this is very significant, but I don't really know how it's significant. So let's flash forward a few months later. A few months later, I had a, a couple of very, very, very intense experiences. Um, <clears throat> one of which, um, immediately afterward, and this this experience was on a very, very, very high dosage dosage of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. And very shortly after that, I had owl number two show up. So I was driving at night, and I was I was driving around a curve, and I ran over something that I thought at the time was a pop can or a soda can. Uh, turned around, and I went back because I realized it wasn't that. It was some sort of, I, I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was some sort of a bird. And for some reason, I just said, I've got to go back. So I went back, and it was still alive. I picked it up, and it was very, very small. You know, like I said, the size of a soda can. It was a tiny eastern screech owl. And I immediately thought of the little Furbies that you used to be able to get. I mean, this is, this is a very cute little character. And it was alive. Um, I guess... What may have happened is when I drove over it, it might have tried to tried to fly and bumped its head or something, but it was completely coherent, um, a little shook up, scared, but that owl was very docile, and it allowed me to hold it, and I, I just I held it in my hand with one hand, and I drove all the way back to my house and kind of massaged its head and it was just you know it was an amazing experience just to be in the presence of this little owl so for three days i took care of it and i contacted a few different people for to you know and nobody actually wanted to take care of it that's what kind of blew my mind i thought somebody would you know to help the owl out um Somebody would want to take it to help it uh, rehabilitate it and everything. And um, I had a lot of difficulty finding anybody. So I just decided I would rehabilitate it myself. And so for three days, I fed it worms out of uh, 
uh, that the neighbor had for their garden. It was really neat because I, I basically became friends with this owl. And we named it Alan, so that's where the name Alan comes from. Uh, we, meaning myself and my roommates, I kind of had a threes company thing going on. At that time, I had two female roommates, neither one of which I was dating, but they were both close friends of mine. And um, so anyways, we named it Alan. And I would have staring contests with this owl. It was, it was pretty phenomenal because if you, if you try to have a staring contest with, say, a dog or a cat, uh, within a few seconds to a minute maybe, they'll look away. You know, they'll turn their head. With an owl, or at least this particular owl, there was no turning away. This owl continuously stared back and stared back. And it would actually win every time. I, I played, I think, three staring contests with this owl, and each time the owl never looked away. And the deeper that I looked into the eyes of this owl, it was like I could see galaxies, the universe inside of it. And it was so um, full of knowledge and information. And um, this, it was like the secrets of the universe were inside of this owl. And so, um, about three days later, after, you know, we had become very well acquainted, the owl uh, had pretty much made a full recovery and decided it was ready to be released. And um, it let me know that at about 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was flap. I had it in a cat carrier in my room, and it was flapping its wings around, uh, getting very, very aggravated. And... I sort of had this connection with it to where I could tell what it wanted, and I knew that it wanted to be free. So I got down and I talked into the cat carrier and I said, Alan, listen, if you will uh, relax for just a couple more hours, I would like to release you at sunrise, and I would like to video it. I would like to video your release. So. That's exactly what I did. Um, sunrise, I let Alan out and released him or her. I don't know if Alan was a him or her. And released Alan. And Alan flew away. And it was it was very majestic. The whole thing was majestic. And I'll definitely put the video of this on my page. Um, so anyways, later that day, uh, my roommate, who happens to be a photographer said, oh, I wanted to do a photo shoot with Alan, you know. And, of course, I, I apologized. I said, I'm sorry, you know. He wanted or she wanted to leave. And, um, you know, I apologized. But here's what happened. It's kind of crazy. So later that day, uh, I had to go to work that day. I came home, I think, on lunch break. And guess who was back? Alan flew back. And flew back specifically to do the photo shoot. I, I believe that. I know this sounds crazy, but Alan came back, did the photo shoot. Uh, we had some amazing pictures with this little guy, and then and then uh, Alan flew away, never to be seen again. 
But it was just amazing to me that Alan returned after my roommate stated that, that uh, she wanted to do a photo shoot. So this owl, uh, although only, you know, briefly three days of being with this owl had an immense, uh, an immense impact on my life and, and my roommate's life. This was a very big deal. And so this was owl number two, Alan. So now you see where the name DC Allen comes from. We're going to go uh, fast forward into owl number three. So by owl number three, I had met um, the person that I was considering to be my future wife. And, you know, I, I was definitely going to ask her to marry me. A period of transition was happening in my life, and this owl, the third owl, I actually drove over. It was a small baby owl, and you know it was another situation. I didn't see it, and uh, I ran over it, and this time it actually died. So I picked up the owl, and I buried it in my backyard, and I remember thinking. With this owl, I bury my past. So I did just that. Um, I basically forgave myself for everything in my past that I was not satisfied with uh, or that I felt like I had done wrong because I knew that in order to, to get to move forward in my life, I needed to forgive myself. So I did that, and I forgive, I forgave everyone who I ever believed had wronged me in any way or done. I forgave all of that. All of that was just washed clean. And so that was the significance of owl number three. You know, it was very unfortunate that two of the owls uh, had died due to this, um, and life works in very mysterious ways. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very wild because in my entire life, um, I've only had three owls come into my life, and they all came in a period of about a year and a half and at very significant moments in my life. Um, and I haven't seen any owls since, and I hadn't seen any owls before. So this was, this was back... Um, I know I said 10 years, but this was back in the 2011-2012 period of time. So it was actually about eight years. Um, and uh, moving forward, I started to do a lot of research into owls and the symbolism of owls because there was... There was just so many unanswered questions with this concerning nature, concerning serendipity, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it. So I found some, I did some research on the significance of owls and symbolism. And what I come to find was that uh, first, first was, first was not very satisfying. And that was that Coming into contact with owls was a sign symbol of death in certain 
uh, I believe it was Native American cultures, that they were actually omens. Um, so I didn't like that, care for that at all, because then, you know, it made me think, well, I'm, I guess I'm, I could potentially die, but it didn't seem right. It didn't seem to fit with what was happening in my life. So I did some further research, and I found that um, in some cultures, the owl is actually a symbol of um, obtaining hidden mysteries or information, secrets. And this I liked. I liked the idea that the owls were helping to show me that I was on the path that I needed to be on. Now, when you get into um, synchronicity, serendipity, Dallas thinking, things like this, you start to realize that there are a lot of things in your life that line up um, that you don't even realize things that are that are behind the scenes going on. And nature gives many indications of this for the person who is paying attention. Uh, and and so you start to notice you start to notice these things. And I realized that these owls were symbols. They were um, I realized that these owls were basically there to show me that I was on the right path. And, you know, sometimes, uh, and, and it's, it's part of, part of uh, living a life happy is to basically accept and know that you're on the path that you're supposed to be on. But it, it always helps to have affirmations from nature. And I believe that if you uh, search, you can find those informations. So, anyways, um, after these three owls, my life significantly changed. And I got married and had a, a small family. And, um, you know, life has just continuously been uh, a blessing for me. That's not to say that there hasn't been a lot of difficult things and struggles and, um, you know, climbing up the mountain is very hard. I'm not saying that I didn't have a lot of troubles. Um, I'm just saying that I treated life in a different way. I actually began to appreciate some of the hard times. And one of the things that I really, really... Uh, strived for and continuously strive for is, is self-improvement instead of worrying about the world um, trying to argue and complain about the state of, of things outside of myself uh, I spend most of my time working on me working on my working on my own downfalls pitfalls and, and fixing and repairing things that need to be fixed and repaired inside, whether that be physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever. And um, one of the first things that happened after I got married, um, my wife has very weak lungs. She was uh, born early and her lungs did not fully develop. So her being around cigarette smoke, and I'd been a smoker for 20 years, but her being uh, around cigarette smoke was just not... Even even if I smoked outside and she was around me, um, it made her cough a lot. And then we had a daughter, 
and it was when we had our daughter that I realized, uh, I first started to realize that I had to quit, and I'd, which I'd tried many times before that to quit, but I, there was a point when my wife's um, grandfather had to go to hospice and uh, died. He had COPD from smoking for many, many years, and there was a point when I definitely realized uh, with with my daughter and my family that I had to find a means to quit, and I'd felt this hopelessness because every time that I tried to quit, three or four days later, I would get these just horrible cravings, you know, and I would have cravings for three or four days, but it would just come to this climactic peak where I just, I could not, I could not deal with it anymore, and I would always go back to cigarettes. Um, but then I found out uh, a study John Hopkins University had done on smoking cessation, uh, experience uh, of Paul Stamets, mycologist, concerning uh, quitting stuttering, and I just I put connected these things together, and uh, went camping, and I was able to conquer cigarette addiction. Uh, using psilocybin mushrooms with one trip um, I came back from that trip never wanting never craving a cigarette um, and by craving I mean I basically reset the pathway in my brain so that I no longer had cravings I came out of that trip and I just simply did not want to smoke anymore the the pathway the addiction pathway was reset that very day uh, the the morning after I'd quit smoking I started running um, I only ran about a quarter mile I think but it was enough and and it was enough for me to realize that I wanted to not only quit smoking but I wanted to go as far in the opposite direction as possible you know I was, a, I was a heavy smoker with poor lungs. Let's see if I can go to a point where I'm a runner with very healthy lungs. So um, over the course of the next few years, I, st I started training, training a lot, um, running many, many miles a day, um, running mountains, running, uh, you know, uh, trails and running marathons, running races, eventually uh, all coming to a peak where I ran a full marathon um, a couple years ago, which was an amazing experience. I haven't been running as much lately, but still, still am running though. I'm still training, um, just not training a full marathon right now. Um, as since there is uh, everything that's been going on, there's no races. Uh, I've just been kind of taking it easy, running a few miles a day. Nothing too stressful, but. You know, I'm in, I'm in good health, I'm in good shape, I feel good, I have my own exercise program, and, um, and th things are going good with that. But, you know, one thing with this podcast that I want to raise awareness towards is that these psychedelics that have been traditionally in our culture looked at as being just passed off as being drugs, as being uh, party substances, although people can abuse them for that reason, um, 
And, you know, I hear these stories about people taking massive amounts of psychedelics mixed with alcohol and other drugs. And it's just, it's, it's very disheartening because I realize that these um, tools, these psychedelics can be used in such an amazing way. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like the term plant medicine being thrown out there. But when you look at the implications um, of a substance that can potentially, um, in one session, reformat your entire mindset, your entire brain, how could that not be considered a medicine? I mean, we have so many drugs out there that are synthetic manufactured drugs used to treat depression used to treat a cigarette addiction. I mean, I, I tried this uh, anti-smoking um, pill that I, I bought from a doctor. And, uh, you know, the insurance didn't cover this. It was very expensive. Within three days, I had um, I had suicidal thoughts uh, from this. And I, and I didn't have suicidal thoughts before. So, you know... All of a sudden, I feel depressed and I've got horrible th thoughts. I know it was the drug, and I quit taking the drug, and I was fine after that. So, and it didn't help me with quitting smoking at all. So, and this is a synthetic-made drug, you know, pharmaceutical. These types of of smoking cessation programs, and then of course you have the the different the patches and and. Um, the gums and, and all these things. And and I shouldn't even just limit it to cigarette addiction. You know, there are many addictions that I believe can be conquered by psychedelics um, because you see so many testimonies out there of people using not only psilocybin but ayahuasca and, and other psychedelics to conquer their addictions um, to, to many things varying from alcoholism and cigarette addiction all the way up to extreme extreme drugs like heroin um, so there is uh, the potential here is enormous absolutely enormous if given the light of day I think and especially with professional colleagues uh, banding together you know, doctors and uh, medical professionals who see the potential in this, that that we could see a great reduction in drug use, in depression. I mean, uh, from a psychological standpoint, you know, um, many, many, many sessions, which I've never uh, been to a psychiatrist, but I can tell you that one session of psilocybin mushrooms uh, a few about eight years ago was enough to reset uh, a lot of my depression issues re reverse my depression issues and and push them back in the opposite direction um, and and this is profound this you know how many people are walking around out there struggling with depression, struggling with mental health issues, you know? And, and then the, another thing is, with these psychedelics, is, you know, at this time, them being illegal, you, if you go out 
and try to find them, you really don't know what what exactly you're getting a lot of times. I mean, there are many different strains of mushrooms out there. There are many different uh, kinds of them with different dosage. Um, a clinical professional, uh, a doctor would be able to prescribe a person based on their on their height and weight and different characteristics what the right dosage is for that individual and I think that's one issue one one reason why people experience uh, have bad experiences is because they go out and they get this drug not knowing the proper dosage based on their weight you know it could be a, a, a person who's uh, very small weighing 120 pounds or less and they take a very high dosage that would be enough for um, a massive football player weighing in at about 220 and um, they have this experience that is so intense that they can't handle it. So um, more research into proper dosage and and, and uh, actually having a professional, a doctor, w would help with this. Um, you know, before I took a lot of my, uh, before I had a lot of my experiences, I did heavy, heavy research into dosage. My, in a particular strain of mushrooms even, uh, the strain that I was taking, how much I should take, and it eliminated a lot of the problems that people talk about experiencing with uh, the so-called bad trips. Um, I did, uh, I do a lot of fasting before I have a psychedelic experience. I don't eat uh, meat or processed foods anywhere near a psychedelic experience because I know that it can uh, mess with the experience. So uh, diet has a lot to, and, and I'll get into this in, in further podcasts. I may do an entire episode uh, talking a lot more about diet and things like that. But um. You know, there's there's just a lot of things that people should take into consideration um, before taking these substances, because you know things may can go pretty rocky if if you don't know what you're doing. So you know, like I said, with this podcast, um, there's raising awareness that these substances can be uh, amazing can change your life but also that we have to treat plants with respect and use them the way they're intended to be used uh, otherwise uh, what we're doing is basically abuse all this being said uh, i think this is plenty for today plenty for today's podcast our introduction um, as we go into future uh, podcasts I'll definitely plan on having guests after the first after the first few what I would like to do is basically go through uh, a few more podcasts talking about my personal experiences with psychedelics give some uh, what you might call trip reports to talk about um, some of the profound experiences in detail that I had um, things that I saw heard uh, realizations uh, that I had um, and I think this was a good good sort of introduction to me who I am what I'm all about and then we'll go from there as far as um, basically I, I would like to have guests on the show later on and um, see 
you know, kind of see how this goes. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy my podcast. Uh, feel free to uh, send me a message if, if you enjoyed it, what you what you liked about it, and um, any feedback would be much appreciated. So, all right, guys, be well, and thank you so much.